Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast with me, your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 81. This episode, I am once again joined by the architect Claire Nash. Uh, This time we are talking about contemporary vernacular design, how British housing can rediscover its soul. And this is all based around a book that Claire wrote. She talked a little bit about it in episode 80, if you haven't heard it yet. I think the two stand alone, uh, but you might want to go and listen to that one first. Uh, But this was her master's dissertation that she, uh, she got the opportunity to turn into a book Um, And she went off and did lots of research uh, around the world uh, looking at housing schemes that draw on traditional vernacular principles while taking into account modern day materials, methods and financial or energy requirements. I'm reading this from the blurb on the book now. The aim is to show how, despite mass housing needs, we can design quality modern schemes that fit their surroundings and generate a sense of place, community and regional identity rather than the poor quality identikit housing currently seen wherever you are in the UK. Um, And and the book was written from years of primary research, uh, including site visits and interviews with the actual residents themselves. Um, I should say that I haven't actually read this book. Uh, It is on my list. Uh, I have a big list of things to get my head into once the house is finished. And if I'm honest, once I stop spending all of my money on paint and stuff like that. So yes, when there's a bit of spare income, I shall be investing in some lovely books uh, to go on this lovely bookshelf that I'm sat in front of. In this episode, uh, we talk a little bit about Poundbury, uh, which regular listeners uh, to the podcast might remember was featured in episode number six uh, with Noel Ishwood. 
and maybe you'd like to hear more about Poundbury um, and its design principles. Okay, that's it from me. Uh, Join me back at the end uh, if you'd like to hear a little bit more about where I am with the house build. If that's your kind of thing, make sure you listen to the end. Otherwise, enjoy Claire Nash. So, contemporary vernacular design. How British housing can rediscover its soul is a beautiful title, first of all. (laughs) I'm very pleased to read that. I mean, maybe we could start on like what your what your definition of vernacular design is. So architects I'll argue about this a bit, but um, everybody agrees that vernacular architecture is how people built without architects or anybody, uh, you know, not top down approach, literally just bottom up. This is what I need to build my house and usually done as a community as part of the village uh, and inherently sustainable because it would use local materials and had thick walls and small windows uh, to keep out uh, to keep the heat in and the cold wind out Um, whereas now of course we want the opposite (laughs) Um, uh, we still need to keep the heat in but we want lots of light and so I'm probably digressing a bit here but um, but, so this is where it digress all you want that's that's what (laughs) this is about (laughs) this is where it um, and I call it contemporary vernacular but other architects would call it something slightly different probably but um it's what I mean by that is uh, learning from the uh, way people used to build without architects and uh, mass house building and so on, and take those inherent sustainable technologies and apply them to a modern day building that we want to live in with our modern lifestyles. Because in the past, um, we would have mostly been working in the land and would have had way too much daylight. <laughs> and all we want to do at the end of the day is huddle around the fire and hide from the cold wind that we've had to put up with all day and um whereas now we spend way too much time indoors (laughs) it's the opposite so we want big windows and lots of light um and feeling of space as well because we're not outside as much um so but you can still do that with all the uh vernacular technologies like um uh, I, i was thinking Actually, passive house is very much like. Um, so, in the past, we we had uh, a house next to a barn because the warmth from the cows would heat um, our living spaces. Um, and nowadays, we don't want to live next to cows. But in a passive house, you use the heat from the appliances to heat the building because it's so airtight, sealed, and um, uh, full of insulation that you need very little to heat it. Um, so that you know, that's the sort of analogy for the modern day. But but and there's lo- loads of other sort of bits that I have in the book, like um, overhanging eaves that they have in Austria and um, external circulation, which was just to save space. But actually, today is really helpful for solar shading, so that we don't have overheating, and also still save space <laughs> for, <laughs> for circulation, and gives people you know balconies and things like that, or um, verandas, which people love verandas. I love a veranda. But um, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's lots of things to be taken from that. Like we don't need to go back to living in mud huts, but there's a lot to be learned from the mud hut. Like in um, in uh, China, they um, historically they lived in cave dwellings. Well, some people still do. Um, I stayed in one, It was which was fun. 
And but there, you know, there are downsides to that because although a cave dwelling will maintain a constant 16 degree internal temperature, even with huge changes in temperature outside, like um, you know, freezing winters and boiling summers that they have in northern China. Uh, the downsides was that their windows were made of paper originally. <laughs> Not so nice. Um, <clears throat> uh, so uh, Xi'an University were concerned about uh, poorer people moving from the countryside into cities and living in the um, the standard apartment block, which is just concrete, and then not being able to afford to heat it because concrete, um, you know, thin-walled concrete is very bad insulator and won't retain any heat so um so that that, yeah fuel poverty was a big issue so they were trying to create a new version of the cave dwelling which is also culturally important because chairman Mao plotted the Czech cultural revolution in it and you know historically it's important um it you know a bit like we love our Cotswold cottages there's a lot of nostalgia associated with it too um but they updated it um they made it more earth earth earthquake proof so it's still an earth building but a little bit of concrete added uh, green roof over the top and they still retained the kang bed which is um, a central bed that is heated from residual heat from the stove and everybody sits there it's like quite a family thing they sleep on it and they sit there during the day and very cheap to heat that especially if you you've only got to start from a 16 degree base temperature uh, mm. that's a much um, more efficient way of doing things um and yeah you know proper glass windows <laughs> um so that was their modern version and uh it's it's quite aspirational and it's uh a, a sort of um commercially minded hotel did a whole load of them near where Cher- chairman Mao plotted the cultural revolution which attracts tourists and then you can stay in your own uh, hotel version <laughs> of the cave dwellings uh-huh. as well so you know it's all about changing mindset because it becomes aspirational it's not a poor person's dwelling anymore it's it, this is for everybody that um yeah yeah so that was really interesting so stuff like that i think um there's m- way more things we could use and apply to modern day building and do you see well i mean l- let's talk a little bit about the state of sort of modern building it, I mean, the the well why don't you just tell me what you think of uh, <laughs> the state of modern building well i just think it's very worrying that an awful lot of what we're building now will need to be retrofitted to meet the climate mm. crisis targets it, it just it it's just um unbelievable <laughs> basically it doesn't make any sense to me at all why would you spend the money at all doing that uh, and, you know, the carbon footprint of these buildings um, will take 50 years to get to zero anyway. So it's really important that our new builds really make sense because the mm. far more eco thing to do is to retrofit because it's an existing building. The carbon footprint is very low then. Because, yeah. Um, yeah, what we don't want to do is increase our carbon footprint, not least for buildings that aren't even zero carbon <laughs> or, you know, zero energy bills or whatever it's um it's just really disappointing Mm. (laughs) to put it lightly (laughs) yes well incredibly so yeah Um, but how about in sort of in terms of um sort of relating to to place and to that sort of with any connection to the vernacular yeah well heritages of an area exactly it's just you know at the border of every single town now is the same red brick box and 
there used to be much more variation. And that's what I was trying to show with the case studies in the book is, is that these are all so different and so nice and so loved <laughs> by, by the people living there. And they might not have chosen to live there. They might be housing association tenants, but they're still loved. Um, mm-hmm. And the sense of community was much better. And people, you know, isn't just like the typical housing estate where you just drive up and then you go into your house and don't talk to your neighbour. There, there were lots of opportunities to bump into people on, on these schemes. And um, the community was much stronger because of it. Even something as simple as a shared garage um, meant like uh, I interviewed some people of one housing scheme in Wales and they'd only been there six months and already they knew the name of each other's cats. <laughs> right. But that just doesn't happen normally. Um, and that was just a shared uh, garage, sort of a barn style garage with like a carport and um, each person had their own space. So when you park your car up, you park it next to your neighbour's car and you have to walk across so you're... T- more interaction possibility and then their gardens were open-ended which was quite radical so they'd have fences on either side but then at the end was a lovely field and a pond which attracted people um so again they um uh have more opportunity to speak to each other but also total privacy in their homes because their sound insulation was amazing and you had no idea anybody was next door even though it was a terrace um, yeah. until you're in the garden and that was lovely. Um, but then other ones they've had, like in um, Dagenham, there was a scheme for um, less able people and older people um, so that uh, with a nice green that you could walk through to get to your house. And um, so people who weren't able to leave their house could sit in their lovely big window and wave at people as they went past, which really helped reduce social isolation. And also the crime rate was extremely low like not even just for Dagenham which has very high rates but um but anywhere um because you if you were a burglar you'd just feel like you're being watched all the time because of that um (laughs) you know the overlooking feeling so it's good for social um social side but also reduces crime now there are lots of examples like that just a bit better design why did those get designed better than the sort of conventional offering like what um, was the, the driving force? I think it was, uh, in some cases, it was a landowner that was very minded that if I'm going to give away this piece of land, I want to be able to walk into the pub afterwards and hold my head high and feel proud that this happened on my land. It wasn't just about the money for them. In in other cases, it was a housing association because they have a longer term view. They want really good quality buildings that with happy mm-hmm. tenants for a very long time. And that, that's all always the case if you have the 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 more long-term mindset you are the more inherently sustainable your actions are going to be Um, yes and that's sort of the problem with the industry at the moment it's just all about selling and the you know the bottom line (laughs) that being said there was a major house builder um who did a case study um in my book and uh they worked with joseph roundtree trust so it was very driven by the client who uh wanted very good quality housing on their land again um but it wasn't a housing association so the house builder had to deliver really high quality eco um, homes and community and something to be proud of and it, it worked but also the house builder made a lot of money because the um they charged more and because it was a flagship scheme they got really really good deals from all their suppliers 
<laughs> so it was it was just kind of the opposite of what house builders had previously said, where they were saying, oh, you know, we, we can't deliver this because people don't want it and it costs more and we won't make enough money. Um, so it just disproved all of those things. But I also think the government needs to set higher targets because the problem with how it is at the minute is that shareholders will go elsewhere if they're not making enough money from the, the house builders. But if you put them on a, on a level playing field, you all have to achieve these targets. Then there's nowhere for the shareholders to go. You know, they're all going to stay there. They're yeah. not competing with each other in the same way. And that, uh, that's not me saying that. That's house builders have said that at conferences that they'll all happily do it if the government makes them do it. And I guess uh, the the my thought was um, if we had vernacular buildings and then now we we sort of have these big soulless developments and where where did that shift happen i think it was uh, post war really because we just needed a lot of housing very quickly mm. i think that's where it started and then it's just land prices have gone up and up and up and have become you know impossible to get hold of if you're not if you haven't got big bucks <laughs> basically um and also tricky to get planning permission on because, you know, the planners see a housing development as more beneficial. Well, apart from anything else, they get the um, the, the SIL payments or the Section 106 payments um, from that, whereas they don't from an individual self-build. Uh, but there's more justification for it because it's providing homes for a lot of people, whereas a one-off isn't. But uh, co-housing people have got around this a bit by joining forces but it, even then, it still takes a long time to be able to find the, the right piece of land that, mm. that, um, that A, is you know it's viable to build on it and B, likely to get planning permission. It's tricky. And there, there have been some quite good schemes, uh, so, you know, self-build schemes like Norwich, um, Norwich um, is doing some and um, self and custom build schemes where you, and Graven Hill, of course, is, they have their golden brick thing. So you um, pay for a plot and it's already got foundations and services in it and then you can you have a lot of choice over the rest of it so that they're, they're just but there just aren't enough of them that's that's what I think uh and and there are you know some the well the good quality schemes that I put in my case studies but you know again just not enough of them have you have you got a, a favorite uh no <laughs> <laughs> I just I like all of them for different reasons yeah, I, uh, I, I found them all really inspiring, and I'd have liked, I'd have happily lived in any of them. That's that's saying something, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were just nice, happy places to live with happy people, uh, um, and you know, buildings that just work and keep you warm or cool, whichever you want, and mm-hmm. plenty of light. And yeah, you know, that standard thing of because uh, house builders are often trying to build something traditional because we want the nostalgic cottage thing but they blow it up because that doesn't work. That that country cottage thing only really works if you have a two up, two down. Otherwise, the scale is all wrong. Um, but mm-hmm. they still do that. And with the smaller windows, because it's much cheaper to put in smaller windows, but also it looks like the country cottage thing, sort of. But then the first thing people do is plonk on a, a horrible plastic conservatory <laughs> because they want more light. And then it's too hot in summer and it's too cold in winter. And um, they're pumping heat into it in winter to make it useful um because they probably got their home office in there or something but it just 
none of it works. And if you did it right in the first place with more light in the first place, then nobody would feel like they needed to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was nice about those schemes, that it was integral. It was already there. So, yeah, that was, you know, and it's not, I don't know, if you're going to, it might cost you a little bit more at the beginning, I suppose, but then any new build does, to be honest. Um, But then you haven't got to factor in the fact that you need an extension or a conservatory or whatever soon after, then, you know, your quid's in, really. So so what do you think uh, are the elements of uh, a contemporary vernacular design? I th- think uh, the key one is that it's not a pastiche or um, a style. It, it's, it comes from what is needed from the home in the first place, very much like a vernacular home does. It's just the method will be different now. So it might be a prefab home, so it's made in a factory, um, which does definitely suit the british climate very well because you don't have to worry about the weather so much when mm-hmm. you're building but um uh, and it it makes things like air tightness a lot easier and and so on but um because <clears throat> most of it's done beforehand yeah so think things like that and um uh, community i think that's still really important so it might not be that the whole village works together although they still do that in germany which is very nice but um it would be co-housing or community-minded development so Mm-hmm. Um, you're thinking about how people will use the space and interact with each other um, because it, inevitably we have to do it as a, a top-down approach now it can't be a bottom-up approach unless you're very fortunate and have some land to build on which is rare so um, we have to find ways around of still giving those benefits but in it with a different method mm-hmm. that's the principle of it I, I think when I think back to well, there, in a town I used to live in, there was a, a road which went out out of, out of town and you could see every different uh, housing development that had been built. And you could sort of, you know, you sort of saw the 50s design and then the 60s design. And the thing that was in common was that there was one kind of rubbishy little playground in the middle. And that was like their the the sort of community hub i don't a lot of them didn't even have a shop yeah so how how do you sort of approach designing those things in uh i mean we we're working on development at the moment which is in a village and um the principle of it is that it should feel a bit like a farmyard and the houses are set around it and then there's the shared car parking barn which has home offices above it and um so there's straight away more possibility for interaction and there's more Hmm. um trees (laughs) trees <laughs> that hide the cars because uh, that, that's the other thing that's sad about modern life is that um estates housing estates are pretty much glorified car parks and that's what they look like apart from the time of day when everybody's driven off in them to work or whatever um yeah um and they're not very attractive and the um uh, the dutch scheme i looked at got around that by having pocket parking spaces so that they had a scheme um, which had lots of lovely um, narrow streets in it, which were very village-like, but you couldn't you could get a car through for unloading and loading, um, but not for parking at all. And uh, and then they'd have sort of uh, twenty car car parks dotted around, but very well hidden with the landscaping. So I you know I didn't really notice at first. I had to sort of go looking for where the car parks were, because um, what I noticed was the lovely bridges over the nice canals and the little streets and the children playing in those streets because the cars weren't running them over and that stuff. Um, but then the 
it, yeah, it is tricky because, you know, I myself also, when I had a child, really liked the fact that I could drive right up to my door and if he was still asleep in the car, I could leave him for a bit and, and watch him from the kitchen and um, you can't do that in that, in that situation. But, on, but the benefits of the Dutch one were brilliant uh, and, and nobody moaned about it. Um, you know, they moaned about things like the wrong bath being installed, but they didn't moan about um, the fact that their car was a few yards away because the benefits far outweighed it. Um, you know, their kids could play on the streets and Dutch, the Dutch obviously do a lot of cycling. So um, mm. that's another culture thing. But, you know, it can perfectly work in Oxford or Cambridge where there's also a big cycling culture. So, I th- yeah, I thought things like that we could do, but, you know, it's, it's tricky to change British culture sometimes. Yes. Yes, it's interesting how sort of inter, uh, interwoven the sort of the car is to sort of lack of community. Um, I'm thinking about in Bristol, they do things where they, they close off the streets and, you know, have reclaim their street and, and, and have people walking around on it and barbecues yeah. and, you know, and it's... Yeah, we, we've sort of put all of our focus on, on making it good for cars yeah. and not forgotten about people. Yeah, yeah, and it's a shame because people will walk if it's easier um, and it's nicer <laughs> to do that. But if, if they've got to walk along a busy street with constant traffic and fumes and things, they're not going to do it. They'll want to, you know, get find another way. Yeah, and it, I, I think... I think it is better now because we are trying to encourage more sustainable transport. But in the past, it was, I can't remember cycling around Cardiff uh, when I was a student. And you get to the a cycling lane, would just stop in the middle of nowhere. And there was nowhere else mm. to go apart from a very busy road. That, um, uh, stuff like that was just really stupid, like not, not joined up thinking. Uh, um, I think there's a bit less of that now, thank goodness. But um, we've yeah. still got quite a long way to go. I mean, we're miles off the uh, dutch or the danish yes although uh, i only found out recently that the the amsterdam was a a big horrible fumey car city up until 70s i think oh wow sort of relatively recent history that they they decided to make the switch yeah uh, which gives me hope that yes maybe we could do the same yeah and i think um uh when moving to electric cars will help with the pollution aspect as well because it's really worrying that people are dying from pollution caused Mm. illness which uh, the fact that uh it was quite recently i think five years ago or something that the first case was proven that it was direct cause of living on a busy road this girl died uh, because of the pollution so you know unfortunately we need that kind of data to shift um how we design cities and the type of cars we use i'm intrigued to know what you think of poundbury oh yeah because that that was a city designed or a town designed around being walkable i i think there's place for poundbury's in the world i mean it architect's quite sniffy about it because it's definitely a pastiche but yes. um the community stuff is good and um people do really like living there um mm. and you know pay more to live there uh, so you know those bits have worked and and actually i i really think what prince charles has been trying to do for decades um you know it's fashionable now but he's been really trying for a long time and he's he's done pretty well 
you know, it's, it's not my cup of tea, that sort of pastiche style, but, you know, at least it's different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's better quality. And it was using local craftsmen and all that sort of local lovely stuff. I, you know, the values were definitely in the right place. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd rather have more of that than the, um, the red brick box, definitely. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. That's right. And I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, who wouldn't? But <laughs> um, I think I'd like to talk about sort of materials and and I guess, yeah, I saw on your slides that you wrote placemaking uh, was, was very important. And I, I have to say, I don't really understand what placemaking is. Uh, but uh, what, what it made me think of is, is just, you know, the, the vernacular buildings that were built from the materials that were locally kind of, creating a sense of place because of because of the palette that's that's around them um it's that i mean first of all have i got anywhere close to to understanding what that is and then also just um how is that being sort of implemented in these these modern designs yeah so placemaking means just trying to create a sense of place so that when you uh like when you previously we well and still now if you look at the older buildings there's definitely uh it's different being in a norfolk village than it is being in a scottish village or you know wherever um and and that's a sense of place <laughs> mm-hmm. and um but it can also be you know you can have it in cities so um being in the british museum with its uh you know triple height spaces and stuff that's a sense of place also so yeah but what what um it's not just plonking houses in a row and just hoping for the best kind of thing. It's really thinking about how, what is this place about and what am I trying to say, say with it and who's it serving and, you know, how, how could we best serve those people and make it, you know, and design out crime and things like that. Um, so rather than focusing on the number of units, it's just more about designing the place itself. Uh-huh. Um, great. Got you. Uh, thank you. Thank you for explaining that. <laughs> is is there anywhere that's that's really done done that well? Uh, well, any of the case studies in my book. <laughs> any of the case. That's, yeah, I really should just read your book. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think the Dutch scheme was uh, probably, and that, this is why it was important to me to go to the international ones because I think as an outsider you see it more, um, or it's it's more easily identifiable. Um, and because of the polder landscape with the canals and the bridges and things, um, which didn't look twee, it just looked very natural. Uh, um, uh-huh. And they chose, um, they deliberately chose to work with five different architects and then um, dotted the different houses around so that unless you were an architect on a show, you wouldn't be able to say, oh, that architect did that or that architect did that. It wasn't like a whole row of one architect's style and then another mm-hmm. row and then another. So they were trying to create a, a, a sort of village-like feeling, but 
um it's it's a modern build so um i'd say they got that really well what do you think the the effect is on on the people that that grow up either in one of these sort of really good examples or, or poor examples well the people that lived in the dutch one said how they recognized bits from their childhood things they liked you know the nostalgic uh dutch um house and um you know from yeah and but could also see all the modern benefits that they get from living in a more modern version uh, um and they the dutch actually um well no these architects faro architect they're called and they uh, did a study about the preference uh in the population for a, a, a particular architectural style and it was something in the middle so there are a few people that like the the old style a few people that like the uber modern style but most people wanted something in the middle mm-hmm. uh, um which is quite interesting which because uh, often they'll say they want uh, the more traditional thing but they don't really <laughs> because you haven't <laughs> you haven't given them the option of the 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 sort of hybrid version um yeah. because you know you're either given the new build house that is the red brick box with the small windows um or and the yeah or it's an old house that you need to do work to it's a bit cold and damp maybe you know and there's not much in between in this country mm-hmm. but um in holland there is more and and all of the schemes in the book with that in between thing the best yeah. of both worlds do you see uh more of these developments happening in the future um or do you see uh, i guess i'm asking you if you're optimistic or pessimistic about how things are going i, I suppose i have a sort of um yeah I'm, I'm definitely optimistic because um like i for, for, for example even through the course of my uh business at the beginning i was afraid of um, being too overtly eco on my website because I desperately needed work <laughs> starting in a recession that's the number one thing and um, yeah I didn't want to frighten people off because uh, a lot of it is wasn't understood um, and so I would write these geeky eco blogs that people would find me that way and so I got I got the eco, more eco clients that way but if you just came from wanting to find a local architect and googling the front website wouldn't be overtly eco so mm-hmm. i got both sides and then when greta uh, thunberg started doing her um, protests and things in the climate marches and all of that stuff i thought no actually everybody really gets it now so um so about five years ago i made it front and center of the website and i started writing about our carbon footprint and put that front and um all, all those things so uh and that's been a huge positive thing people are like oh we can see you really get it and this is your passion and it's not greenwash and that stuff um so that and and now i just see all these lovely positive eco things that are happening and all the funding going into green tech and in fact investors won't invest in stuff now unless there's a green element um and you know where money goes innovation follows it's just so i feel more excited about that um from the house building side of view I think they're going to have to bring in tougher regulations and then they'll start building better and they'll just have to start retrofitting all the new builds that don't work, unfortunately. Mm. But I also think technology will help us out of that. There'll be better air source heat pumps, better solar, better battery storage, um, etc. (laughs) (laughs) 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Brilliant to hear from Claire there, and so nice to end on a positive note it gives me great heart that she is excited and and feeling like there's positive change happening over the duration of this and episode 80 it's been really great to hear about claire's practice uh, that's claire nash architecture and and just see that there's another way and a more people-centered way um it feels so refreshing to hear of people doing doing things with with people care at the center of their work not only in the work they're doing but actually in the the business the core of the business and looking after themselves okay so where am i with the tiny house um i am so nearly there it feels pretty incredible i have checked off almost everything <laughs> from my list of things to do in january and it is now the 16th of june uh, I am still, still, still waiting for my electrician to come and connect up the final uh, AC power uh, coming from the inverter from the solar. And I'd really like that to happen because I am sick of extension cables running through my house. Uh, this sounds like a rant. This wasn't meant to be a rant. Uh, what are the good things? Uh, the good things are that I am up to just putting trim on things now. Uh, there is one little bit of decorative weaving I want to do um, and then it is just trim and really minor little things uh, that I might just shove on the snagging list which if I'm honest won't happen anytime this year. Um, It's been quite interesting to uh, check back I've got some friends coming to visit for my birthday and they said when we came to visit last year you just had a trailer so it has taken me almost exactly one year from start to finish, uh, which, I mean, I could never have thought it would take this long. And that's what everyone says. And I should know better because 
I build houses for a living. Uh, but what I've realized is there's a huge truth to the, um, the phrase. It goes three times quicker with two people. Um, I think that I'd say that's understating how much quicker it goes. Um, as uh, so, I mean, it's, it's something that has been both a joy in that I have done literally every last bit of this house, uh, for better or worse, but everything has taken so, so much longer. Um, the, the power of just having two people to hold a bit of material, uh, one at each end and well, one person screws it. You don't have to come up with a clever jig to hold things. Uh, and you know, I think also one thing that's really been made clear to me is just how much use there is of being able to talk out loud to someone um, and just order your thoughts a little bit outside of your brain. Um, I have got stuck in big old loops where I have just gone round and round in circles thinking about what I had to do next. Had real trouble prioritising uh, some days. Um, and I think they wouldn't really have happened with uh, just another person to say, right, well, let's do this then. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very, very much looking forward to doing some more building projects in the future with some more people, some very lovely people, I hope. Um, what else to tell you? Oh, do you know what? I've got a fridge and I have been looking forward to having a fridge since uh, January 1st, when I moved into this house, uh, well, I moved into the building site that is this house and I got my fridge and I plugged in my fridge and oh my goodness, it's loud. I don't know if it's just a particularly loud fridge. It's a DC powered fridge. Uh, or have I just got used to not having a fridge or is it because it's a small space? Maybe a combination of all of them. Uh, but I was previously concerned about how much noise my mvhr was making and i was thinking is this is this really what i want to hear and now oh my goodness the mvhr is a a distant memory uh it's drowned out entirely by this fridge um so yeah i don't know i think maybe down the line i will look at other fridges um, do you want to hear my fridge? Come on then. Let's take you for a walk. Are you ready for this? Turn that back off again. Not conducive for podcast recording. <laughs> well, that was a fun little tangent, wasn't it? Uh, my brain is quite mushy at the moment. Um, so I am rambling away. Uh, so maybe I should stop. Um, thank you very much for listening uh thank you very much claire nash thank you very much to the patrons 
if you want to become a patron, head to patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. And one final thank you goes to, how do I say that? Peru, ah, that goes to Peru Adam. They left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts that says, excellent podcast. So I found this podcast. I'd been looking for a green building podcast covering a range of areas. And here it is. Even better and more interesting than I was imagining might be out there. Well done, sustainable, natural building people. You all totally rock. Kiss, 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 kiss. Well, thank you, Peru Adam. Kisses received. And yeah, just thank you so much for leaving a review. If anyone else does want to do that, then it really, really helps uh, us to be seen by more people. Uh, Right. That's definitely enough from me. Uh, Thank you for listening to me just gob on about nothing. See you soon. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.